everybody welcome to another episode of devops unbound yes you're here back on devops unbound with us again we have a great topic today another fantastic panel uh my partner in crime our my co-founder alan schimmel is on a world world tour somewhere who knows where on the planet he is today but he's off uh doing some important work uh and not able to join us today so i'm i'm doing both co-hosting moderating duties. So I don't know how you do that. But anyway, well, we'll jump right into it. Hey, I want to say thank you to the folks at Tricentis. Tricentis sponsors the show, uh, which which brings a lot of things with it. Um, brings a new, unique perspective to add it to some of the conversation and topics and thinking about speakers. And, you know, we co-collaborate on that and, and work together on how we kind of think about different topics. Sometimes it's about testing, sometimes it's not. So I want to thank uh, Lanier and the team at uh, Tricentis and also Jody, our uh, producer, executive producer of the show. So why don't we jump right into our topic? I'm going to start by introducing our panel. Um, and just to kind of give you a flavor, teeing this up, this is part of a building block series, uh, part two, powering up your automated testing. So uh, Tracy, would you kick off introductions? Absolutely, Mitch. Good to see you again. And sorry, Alan couldn't be with us. He always adds a little bit of a flair to these. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> I am Tracy Reagan. I am the uh, CEO of Deploy Hub, and I also manage a open source community called Ortilius. And I'm honored to say I also do uh, Tech Strong Women uh, for Tech Strong TV. Fantastic. And who should introduce themselves next? You oh, I'm sorry. How about Raju? There you yeah. go. Hello, uh, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I'm Raju, one of the principal architect um, at software quality um, and release organization in T-Mobile. As part of my job, I try to focus on two things, increase automation, uh, have more reusability. And that's where I build the architectural solution to help my organization. Martin, you are next. Thank you, and thanks for joining us. I apologize in advance for my voice. I just uh, got over a bad cold, so you can probably hear this just a little bit. <clears throat> but I promise uh, it's getting better, and I'm glad we're on Zoom, so I'm not <clears throat> sharing uh, too much <laughs> uh, or more than I wanted on, on the call today. But uh, my name is Martin Klaus. <clears throat> I lead uh, custom engineering at uh, Tracentis which is a new role. And uh, the charter for us at customer in you know, customer engineering is to help drive the adoption of more automation uh, across multiple disciplines, but also including generative AI and some of those new technologies and to capture those building blocks and blueprints um, that we can sort of scale out um, across the, the entire install base. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody. And I introduced myself. I'm a CTO at TechStrong Group and also run our analyst business to, at uh, TechStrong Research. So let's jump into our topic. And we're talking about this in the context of DevOps. And there are a few core principles around um, kind of implementing DevOps. And there's a lot of flexibility about how you do it. But one of them is automation, right? We're trying to increase the velocity, shorten cycles, produce software more quickly. And of course, to do that, you know, have to automate a lot of things. Uh, and just kind of sharing my own background, you know, in, in running engineering teams and being part of delivering products and softwares and IT is, you know, uh, testing is so extremely important. You want, you want to automate to, to improve quality and maximize your resources. It's also a double-edged sword. You don't want to spend all your time maintaining tests either, right? So what do you automate 
What are the best strategies for doing automation? And how do you fit that into a DevOps pipeline, into a workflow process, into pipelines of work that's traveling through, uh, you know, a DevOps cycles that are landing into test environments and, and production environments eventually. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, Tracy, I'm going to go back to you to kind of kick us off. I'm curious you know, you, you have such a great sense of software engineering and software architecture. How do you think of testing and test automation and, and how you've put that into context of a DevOps workflow pipeline? Well, thank you for saying that. Well, you know, I really think that testing has been sorely um, overlooked over the years. Um, we, hear all kinds of things about the DevOps pipeline. We talk about the build, we talk about the deployment. Um, we might even talk about, you know, uh, source code analysis, but we don't ever talk, we don't talk about testing enough in the DevOps pipeline. It is, um, you know, it, it gets forgotten, unfortunately. And it's such a critical piece of the DevOps pipeline that these conversations about adding testing and making sure testing is part of the automation process is really critical. Now there's different kinds of testing um, and maybe you can't add all testing to the DevOps pipeline. Uh, but I think if we think about the traditional pyramid um, kind of unit testing, uh, functional testing, for example, user acceptance testing, the areas that we really should be focused on automating, especially in a kind of decoupled environment where we have functions and we have contracts, is the unit testing. Unit testing should absolutely be part of the DevOps pipeline. And if you're not doing that, you're missing um, a big component. Amazing. Raj, I'd love you to jump in. Um, first, yeah, time, first time guest, long time listener, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> first yeah, time welcome. I, yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with Tracy. Um, Testing was definitely forgotten, or it's being forgotten. We will be looked only when we uh, when there are issues in the production, right? Um, but in order to have more automation in DevOps, we need to see what are the things that needs to be automated, right? Basically, what are the things that can be easily automated to get started? So if at all you're talking about the unit testing, we are focusing only on a specific piece of code. However, the in, when we are talking about the entire uh, module or a functionality, we need to focus on the integration testing, right? We need to mature enough uh, from the unit level to the integration level so that now you are not only focusing on a single component, you are making sure that when that particular component is deployed, it is talking to that other component that are dependent on this particular component properly, right? That's where we need to focus on. Um, as Tracy said, probably we may not be able to uh, incorporate all the automation uh, into the DevOps. However, uh, we at least when we go step by step from unit to integration, uh, because integration will be in the API level, it will allow us to automate quicker. It will allow us to uh, do it faster. And slowly we can ramp up to the functional. Slowly we can ramp up to the um, UAT, right? Um, however, uh, and also we need to think about, okay, now the automation is running. How do we make sure that if what is going to happen if the automation fails? What is the criteria for us to say, okay, if these test cases are failing, then roll out, roll back my code. If these test cases are passing, then don't roll back my code. So that criteria needs to be defined properly. Yeah, you know, I heard a uh, talk. This is actually, it was at the end of 2019. The last conference I went to, I went to a FinOS conference in New York in December. Um, and there was a, I don't remember the bank, but there was a bank there talking about what you just described. And they had created truth tables to make those decisions. 
based yeah. on particular modules. Um, yeah. I thought it was a fascinating way to see um, how to, and they added that automation into their DevOps, their testing pipeline. So they yeah. had a DevOps pipeline and they also had a testing pipeline, but in their testing pipeline, they added truth tables to do what you just described. Yeah, because that is going to definitely help uh, the um, people who are actually working on the deployment, right? Um, we don't want to blindly roll out, roll back the code if some test cases are failing. Having a best criteria to decide what needs to be, what should be the true decision to deploy or not deploy. Mm -hmm. If I could just add something to <clears throat> the point that Raju made, uh, which is um, that most companies have their own way of deploying features and releases into production, right? And so the automation really needs to fit that model because some organizations <clears throat> have deployed, you know, feature flagging as a way to introduce new functionality uh, to into to the to customers. Other companies use AB type deployments or uh, other companies <clears throat> are actually uh, have an ongoing sort of opt-in beta program where they're basically, you know, uh, leading with new features and then you can roll back to the to the classic or the the not yet fully GA version of, of the software, and in any of these scenarios, and I'm sure there's nuances to that as well. Um, that has an impact on how you think about a test automation because you may not be able to do full end-to-end -end test automation in a staging or uh, you know queue environment. Uh, when you have production data that actually is very critical from an automation standpoint. And you have to think about, you know, what can be tested automatically uh, in a pre-prod staging environment and what actually do you want to test in production as part of like a shift right strategy uh, because you just can't replicate your production environment, um, you know, uh, at, at high fidelity in a, in a development environment. And so it, it really depends on like how you think about your delivery process, how do you think about, you know, the way you introduce new functionality, how do you think about, um, you know, test automation in the context and what can be done on a developer's uh, laptop uh, as part of a unit uh, testing uh, mechanism and what can be done later stages uh, before it hits uh, sort of the, the G environment as well. Yeah. And, and, we're, and we're really focused on code testing, you know, let's just mm -hmm. make it clear we're talking about code testing, not pen testing or other kinds of testing that you may want to do in your production environment and must do in your production environment. But I think the concept of being okay with uh, with understanding that you still may be continuing testing even after you do a production release is important. Because to be quite honest, we never stop testing. Our end users eventually might be the last testers because they're the ones that often find our bugs. Or the um, ultimate but testers. <laughs> they're the ultimate testers. They are the ultimate testers. Um, but how do we, you know, make sure that they don't find as many as uh, we might in the earlier stages? And that's where the automation has become so critical. But what I have found is that in, when you look at a lot of these, uh, when you look at a lot of pipelines, and you're looking at how people are constructing their um their their testing they may run just one test script they may use a selenium and feel that that's going to be sufficient and i think what's important to understand is there is a context to testing and sometimes adding additional tooling um, helps improve the overall quality of the software because you have context around it yeah. I, and I, I can't really explain that per perfectly, but there's, well, there's more me, to just there's more to just scanning code. Let's just put let, it that let way. Me, let me jump in yeah. on that because one of the things I wanted to, to highlight is 
You know, I, I no longer think of testing as a discrete function. I think of it as a continuous process from the moment code's checked in. Maybe I even run some tests before I check in code. But that in that build process, right? We think of DevOps and kind of the center of the picture. Uh, at least people start with CI, CD. But it's more than that. It's more than the integration process that's kicking off. It's the test process that's kicking off. Matter of fact, that can happen when, you know, just code check-in. And, and, and I think... So it's continuous happening, whether you're doing it on your own developed machine, if it's part of the workflow of checking in code, doing builds, and then also pushing uh, code into test environments. And one of the things that you said, Martin, also I think is, is because of automation, we can push code for testing into multiple environments, right? How many times do we have to test different versions of the products or different feature flags turned on or... You know, we've had to separate and we were in multiple systems because of separating customer data because we're not multi-tenant or whatever it might be. There's always cases where we need to go back and fix something in a prior version or maybe we're running multiple environments and we have to be able to test across that. Doing that manually just wouldn't be practical, not on any scale. And that to me is sort of the end, one of the end results of having tests automated is by the time it reaches that step, it's already been tested hundreds, maybe thousands of times with test scripts that kick off at different points in that process. So that, that's why I like to think about it as the flow of how testing happens, not testing happens here. Yeah, and, and the success of this also depends on the config, how good your configuration management is, right? How, how good you are mm. understanding which code is going to be deployed when, and we, we understanding because of this particular code, what functionality is impacted. Um, until that configuration management is not in place, then you will not see the success into what you are trying to achieve in the DevOps automation, uh, because you need to understand what exactly needs to be tested. As Tracy said, if at all you just have one unit test case, uh, just to check the checkbox, and uh, to say, oh, my, my DevOps is, um, everything is automated in my DevOps, right? Having one test case is not going to suffice you, right? Understanding what exactly needs to be tested, why it needs to be tested is important. And Raja, you said the magic word that nobody ever says, I hardly ever hear anybody use the term configuration management. Yep. It is the essence of everything we do through the DevOps pipe and this new conversation around supply chain, uh, whether you want to call it CICD, but configuration management is the essence of everything that we do. And it's in, so important and critical to testing. So for example, you know, uh, key value pairs can really ruin your day. <laughs> if you have two key value pairs in two different environments are acting differently, it's really hard to find um, those, those uh, kind of hidden uh, configurations. And that's why configuration management has been a discussion for years. But I feel like it's been forgotten, uh, kind of yep. like testing gets forgotten. Um, so I really love that you're bringing back that term. It's super critical. And I hope our audience understands that it's not just an old term. We're still doing it. Yep. And and it also allows us to eliminate the duplicate testing, right? If at all you understand, based on the configuration management, you'll be able to understand what exactly is going to uh, change, why it is going to get changed. And now you are once you define that particular package, now you understand what exactly needs to be tested. So you're not over testing it and you're also not repeating the testing over a period of time, whether it is automated or manual, uh, forget about it. But are we doing the right testing? And uh, that's, that's key. And in order to make that as a key, you need to make sure that you understand your configuration management better. And uh, when are we done testing? 
because one of the things that I hear sometimes from customers is there's this enormous uh, test matrix that uh, starts to explode every time you add a requirement and you add a new business rule or you, you think about, you know, exceptions uh, and, and what that means in terms of implications on your test matrix. And while you think you have a fairly comprehensive test matrix, there's always you know, the, the, the sort of the, the doubt of like, is this it? Or have we not covered a particular edge case or, or, or a situation that is not in the happy path, but it's sort of at the intersection of multiple business roles and exceptions conflicting with another. And you can only find it out uh, when you're actually taking the application through its paces in production. And so one thought that we've been thinking about is like, if, if we assume that you're never going to be done, like, or done, done, uh, there's always something that you're not going to catch uh, before you go live, but it's going to happen uh, after go live. And as Tracy mentioned, the end users are the ultimate testers because eventually somebody's going to run into that situation uh, at some point in time. And how do we sort of identify that and have more of a sort of a rapid response uh, approach to the situation to say, we assume that we're not going to be 100% complete ever. There's always going to be a certain percentage that of things that will not catch. But if if we if that happens, then how do we then sort of identify that situation and respond to it as quickly as possible? So this whole idea of observability integrated with uh, test automation might be an important topic for us to think about in the future to say, you know, uh, you know, slow new downtime, but maybe there's some other early indicators that would uh, sort of allow us to detect when these sort of edge uh, cases and situations occur that we can then as a jump uh, uh, on it, fix it, but then also then capture that situation and add that to a, a regression you know, suite uh, for the future, right? Because it's an important sort of uh, situation that we uh, uh, haven't th thought of, of before. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as 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 we all know, right, testing cannot be done, done, done. It's, it's always we are going to test. So, but in order to do the right testing, we need to make sure that we prioritize our test cases. The prioritization is very important, right? What is my key priority, right? What are my test cases um, that if I run, I know these, these many customers are going to be getting impacted, right? Uh, if these are the customers, so you'll be able to prioritize your test cases and then you run your um, uh, test cases through that. Yeah, dependencies become part of that configuration discussion too, right? All yep. the way down to transitive dependencies. You know, the more we talk about open source security and SBOMs and trying to understand what you're consuming, you know, there's an argument to say that if an open source uh, module that you're pulling in in your package, uh, that's a transitive dependencies, that should actually kick off a new test. But we hardly, we, we really can't see that uh, deeply into some of these packages. Um, and if we look at the uh, higher level, the organizational level in, a, say, a decoupled environment, in a microservices environment, which happens to be one of my, one of my favorite topics, because it, it really makes production look like this massive transformer. And you're, you're updating components all day long. And Raju, as you pointed out, you know, the, the integration testing is so critical. How do you continually do that? How do you continually test these integrations? As we're doing agile de uh, development, we're doing microservices, we've decoupled everything, and one single microservice could blow up several applications. So the configuration management becomes even more essential. Understanding dependencies become more essential. And personally, I think that kind of intelligence should be part of the de DevOps pipeline and pass to testing tools because yep. that shows where the risk is. So in other words, if you have a 
you have a login routine that everybody's using because you want to standardize it and you want to make sure it's secure and it gets updated. That has a higher risk uh, value than other um, something else that might just be changing the color of a, you know, of a window frame. Um, so how do you understanding when you should test, what you should test and the risk value is something that we should be gathering and, and reporting on through the DevOps pipeline to make it easier to do that testing. Completely agree. And apart from this too, uh, apart from this discussion, what we have uh, done so far, I think we also need to, in order to be more successful into the automation space, you need to make sure that you are talking about the test data, right? Without, without the proper test data, you will not be able to succeed in the automation, right? Uh, whether you have built a proper uh, solid script that is going to run, but uh, the goal of automation is to run, 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 right? If at all we don't have a proper test data defined for those test cases, then you will fail, right? Um, either the, the people who are going to run the automation is going to get frustrated to understand why the tests are failing, though I did a, my best job to uh, build a proper script, um, and they'll spend too much of time triaging uh, if at all we don't have the uh, best test data. Um, and then the second thing is when they are building this particular automation, in order to be more efficient, uh, we need to think about the reusability concept, right? You you build your automation in such a way that you have a reusable block that can be used between the test cases so that you're not scripting entire, um, so for example, if at all you, you want to talk about login, yeah, login was automated. Now the next thing is I want to make sure that I want to do something on the dashboard. So already login was automated. If at all you want to leverage the dashboard test scenarios, leverage the login that was automated stitches together and then you have the reusability so that way you're spending right amount of time and right amount of energy to build a proper test case i have a question for everyone and thank you raju for that do you think about testing differently do you approach it differently when you know you're going to be integrating it into a devops pipeline versus maybe traditional software development where we maybe we're doing agile or not doing devops and have tool chains that are integrated things like that are, are there are there different thought patterns or considerations that you need to make yeah the thought pattern is to make sure that you are just not writing a test case just someone told you to write a test case or build an automation test case because someone told you to you need to understand as we discussed earlier right you need to understand why what is required and how do I implement it and how do I have that particular dependency uh, to ask yourself whether I'm doing the right testing for this particular changes. Anybody else perspective on that? You know, I've thought about that, you know, my brain really it has um, hardened in this area. So sometimes it's hard to like relax it because I still <laughs> always think about that traditional pyramid, you know, that we have to go through. But I do think that we should be um, breaking down testing into uh, a more modern bits and pieces uh, because that's where we're headed. And it may be the case that we don't always have the benefit of that traditional pyramid. Um, like I said, in the, in the microservices environment, I think we have to really s see how we can do testing differently in that case. I don't think we can always have there. It's impossible to have a single microservice go through absolutely everything. So yeah, we um, we have some work to do in that area, Mitch. I think it's a good topic. It's it's interesting because you almost have to design your testing like you would design software. Think about it as a modular right. 
you know, like an API first, if you're thinking microservices kind of a design, right? It's not one big monolith suite of tests that you want to run. And to your point, Raj, it, we talk about the tests themselves. It's the data that ultimately matters because that's also what's going to drive logic through paths in the code or not, right? And represent, you know, the flow of, uh, you know, use cases, transactions, things like that. So it's a pretty complicated matrix of things to consider. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, when Raj said data, you know, one of the things that I've thought about on the data side is when we start talking about AI, AI needs clean, consistent, honest data. I, I feel like we have to start thinking about how we test that to determine if our, our machine learning is being based off of clean data. And I feel like that's a realm that the testing community has to start thinking about. I don't know if we have yet, but it, if we look at the future and we look at, you know, building out better machine learning around the DevOps uh, problem in particular, having that clean, solid, consistent data that we can have some historical trends becomes really important. And I have no idea how you test that data. I think it will be an interesting challenge for us. Yeah, it will be an interesting challenge. And also, um, when we talk about data, we also need to be more cautious about the data because a lot of we don't want to involve customer data, right? Because of the CPN, like, uh, we want to we want to make sure that we have data masking in place so that you are not uh, giving the confidential information of any customer. If at all you are testing AI, AI or any any place, we want to make sure that wherever we are talking about data, you are not actually using the right um, um, actual customer data, right? That's where uh, data masking will come into the picture. Is there a difference between data masking and anonymizing the data? Or is that the same thing? Uh, so I think anonymizing, you, you're still doing some kind of, uh, so for example, you are saying, okay, uh, instead of saying Raju Chavan, you are going to say some something like anonymous name, but it is still a name. It might be relevant to someone else. Um, and now when we talk about data masking, there, are, there should be some tools and technologies which is going to mask the data in such a way that anyone should not be able to recognize that particular customer. Right. It cannot be. It could be anything. Even the credit card information, even the address information. So there are a lot of information that needs to be uh, data masked. Very good. Um, but let's turn our, turn our attention to thinking about the tools side of it. Obviously, you know, Tricentis and, and being in this business, uh, you have a, a very keen perspective on how customers think about tool selection and integration. Um, I was just working on a study about integrating the DevOps pipeline. What are the considerations around integration, security, automation, um, telemetry and data that you use, you know, output for decision-making and things like that. Martin, maybe if you can, I, I love that you're in the customer success business. So as you're, as you're guiding, and I know we're not, we're not doing a commercial for Tricentis and understandably, but you know, we obviously come with that, with our perspectives, right? I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you help customers walk through that decision matrix of maybe they're already using some of your tools. Maybe they're new to, to coming on board. What are the, some of the, the things that you ask and help people think through. Yeah, I think the this is a great question, right? Because in our experience, we we sometimes run into situations where customers think about tools as as a way to solve all the problems, <laughs> especially people and process and maturity uh, questions. And mm -hmm. that's not it. If you if you think about buy a tool 
or suite or platform, what have you, and that will solve all the challenges, um, that may not be the right investment. I think you end up with, uh, you know, having tools on the shelf and not getting the value, uh, you know, out of out of the investment. And I, th I think the most important aspect in, in our view is always to take a step back and look at where are you today? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, where are you having success already? And where do you think there are opportunities to improve speed or automation or reusability or coverage uh, from, a, from a tooling perspective? And then figure out what is the right way to do that? Um, because we've seen customers that have success with scripted automation tools uh, because they have um, some sort of an engineering team that is really, really good at you know, uh, looking at automation as a product and therefore it's constantly being maintained just like a code basis, right? And so they never run into a situation where they're being frustrated with, uh, you know, scripts that break and then they find out too late and spend too much time fixing the, the scripts rather than adding more, uh, you know, automations to the repertoire and library of automations. Uh, in, in our experience, it's usually a good sort of uh, starting point to, to look at, where are you today? What is your maturity in general relative to uh, the use of automation tools, you know, for, for build automation, CSE automation, deployment automation, security scanning tools, and so forth. And then also from a from a from a team's perspective, what what is the skill set that you have and what's the overall maturity of the teams and thinking through what needs to be to your point earlier, Roger, like what needs to be tested? What is the, you know, what has the biggest business risk from a from a from a customer standpoint? And then prioritizing those things as well, because there is a point of diminishing return of automation where the more regression you do, it's not going to sort of uh, filter out in additional issues or defects, but it's going to add time uh, to deployment cycle. And it's about figuring out how do we run automation in the most optimal way, uh, you know, so that the CSD times don't slow down. Uh, but it actually captured things that need to be tested uh, correctly, right? But I think tools, in my view, is sort of like an important, but not the most important aspect of the equation. It's always <clears throat> about the people and the process first and the mindset, uh, and then figure out how does how do the tools, open source, commercial, what have you, uh, support the process in the most optimal way. Definitely agree with Martin. And as he said. Not all tool, not a tool will solve all your problems, right? You need to identify the right tool to solve your problem. And when you're trying to solve that particular problem, what is the benefit that you're going to get out of that particular problem? Yeah. I think we have to look at testing like domains, right? I like mm -hmm. to talk about domains because they're important. Because uh, if you can define the domains that you want to ensure testing, then you can add it to your DevOps pipeline or not, uh, you know, where it has to be done. You know, production might be a domain or pen testing might be a domain. Security testing might be a, be a domain. Unit testing is a domain. And what are the tools that best fit those particular domains and how's the best way to automate them or not? Um, because there may be a case where this is not something that can be automated. But for the most part, I think most of our testing tools can be. And adding, creating a DevOps uh, testing workflow is a really good way to think about your domains in a different way, and not just dev test prod, but what the testing is doing. What is it? What particular area is it? Uh, is it serving? And build a pipeline that that is appropriate to those domains. Yeah. And and as we are talking about the DevOps and automation, I just want to highlight this to everyone that. Uh, 
I think we still have a lot of opportunity to mature in this area because the to any tool that you choose, there is no proper integration between the DevOps pipeline and automation, right? It's a patches of work that is being done, right? They they are they are they are trying to just integrate um, with patches. It's not a seamless integration that would allow uh, anyone to adapt to this particular framework, right? We don't have a defined a framework with a proper integration. And that, I think that could be one of the reasons that people are uh, not automating um, in the, are not in, including automation into the pipeline, right? Um, there might be just making sure that, okay, one checkbox, if at all my leads are asking me, um, but if at all, we, we have not seen any uh, huge uh, focus in this area where we have a seamless integration with automation, test automation and DevOps. Now, I'm going to follow up on something Martin said. Um, I'm not sure if you use the term diminishing returns, but there is a point, right, where adding more tests to your test suite doesn't necessarily improve the quality or security of software. How do you know? I mean, how do you know when you're approaching kind of that zone of are we are we got enough? Are we over are we over engineering this? Not overthinking it. How do you how do you recognize that you've kind of entered that zone? That's a tricky question. <laughs> That's the thirty $30 million dollar uh, lottery is, ticket question. Yeah, That's exactly it right. Is. Because it, it has to do, and I'd love to get Roger's thoughts on this as well. Because it has a lot to do with what is the rate of change. Like, what are you adding mm -hmm. over time uh, to your application? Is it incremental? Um, are you adding new functionality? Is it a, a new application? And also, what if you think about modularity, what actually counts as an application in its own right versus a service that's being used in in, uh, in a composite way in other applications. And so, um, you know, in, in general, I think automation is a good thing. In general, you know, the more you can continuously, you know, test and validate, that's a good thing. Um, but it does, <clears throat> you know, I would say if, if you look at sort of your de deployment times or cycle times in general, that's oftentimes a good indicator that Okay, so we're we're slowing down here quite a bit, and and now we're waiting, uh, you know, more than we are comfortable with because it's sort of now we've sort of shifted the uh, the bottleneck, you know, downstream just a little bit more, and and figuring out like is is the automation as as, as efficient as possible could be one way to look at. Okay, so do we have, you know, what we need? Uh, what are we catching? Uh, you know, uh, what what do we feel? How do we feel about the maturity of the code base? Um, and then where do we feel comfortable maybe to turn off uh, certain things that have been tested a gazillion times that don't need to be retested again, um, which has implications on test, on, on test automation maintenance, right? Because maintenance is not about fixing scripts are broken, but it's also about sort of does my test matrix still reflect accurately what my application looks like? And, you know, do we have aging uh, in our test cases that, you know, we've tested things, you know, five years ago, we don't need to retest them again because we feel really good about it. It's stable. It's not changing anymore. But maybe we should focus more on some of the, the new functionality we're adding, you know, on a on a more regular basis. Yeah, definitely agree with Martin. Um, the changes, uh, understanding what changes, and also the other way to look around and understand whether we are doing the right um, uh, scoping or not is to historical errors. Uh, so understand whether the what kind of issues you are finding. Um, is it reoccurring? Um, in which areas those are primarily focused on or where are the uh, key uh, issues that I have found in this specific area, which which tells you the, the story, if at all you don't have the configuration management, okay, there, this could be the area where a lot of changes are getting deployed, 
right? And that would help us to uh, focus on uh, increasing automation in that particular area. And if there is some areas where the, you're not finding any issues after running the automation or manual test case, then th that is the area where you can minimize your automation or test cases. And I think that this, this juncture, we should give a shout out to value stream management tools because they um, were really good at showing us where we had bottlenecks um, and if quality gates were way, taking way too long. Uh, because when that does happen, uh, developers get frustrated with the testing and they start want to, wanting to break down those bottlenecks and, and break down those quality gates. But you have to remember, all of this depends on the industry you're in. If you're in uh, banking, um, if you're in government, uh, you may be okay with um, uh, having more than needed. Uh, and if you're in another industry, you may not care as much. You still care, but you don't care as much as the risk-averse industries. And I think that having the insights to understand how much time it's taking um, is pretty important to know if you have hit that diminishing return point. Right. And sometimes we don't see that in the pipeline. It's hard to see that. And that's where the value stream tools were really um, helpful. Like one of the factors is also, um, what kind of things are you not catching, right? In your testing that, that customers do find, or you find them in production. Um, after you've gone through test cycles and is there a pattern to that, right? Do we have, an area where we need to shore up our test cases. Um, you know, it, it's a funny way to say it, but it's not, it's not the tests that pass that you're looking for. It's the failures that you want failures to happen and you want to happen, have them happen as early as possible. So you get a chance to fix it. I used to kind of gut feel software releases by how bad the, the, the bugs we were finding. And we we're finding some pretty significant, you know, really rough ones. And I could tell if we we're, we're not there yet until we start to see some of those things. You know, as a product matures, you get less of that. But that's that you 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 have a sense of what you're finding, the errors you're finding, also informs you how your testing is going. Yep. Am, am I just crazy, or is that is that it's kind of a sense you also apply, Raju? That's that's uh, that's what we exactly talked about, right, Mitch? So yeah, that's that's exactly will help you to understand whether we are finding the right uh, um, uh, errors or not, and we are fixing the right errors or not. Yeah, we're definitely making. Yeah, I was like, great! I love those big bugs. <laughs> like that tells me we're finding good stuff. Um, we're coming coming up uh, near the end of our time together. Um, you know, a couple of ways to kind of approach how we close this. I was thinking about. You know, all of us have been working in the industry a while and shipped a lot of software and have experiences that we've, you know, you learn from your failures as well as your successes. Is there anything that you, if you rolled back time, maybe back 10 years or, or, or so ago and said, boy, if I would have known what I knew now, this is what I would love to take back to myself 10 years ago and, and benefit from that knowledge. Um any kind of lessons learned? Because so much has changed in how we do software now. If you knew you were going to be doing microservices 10 years from now, right? <laughs> you, you're like, oh, I might rethink about how I do this. Um, Tracy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impinge on you and ask you to go first on, a, on maybe a tough question. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's an easy you know, one. It's, it, it's a tough one because there's so many areas that we have, you know, fallen on our face over the years with uh, companies I've been with um, and you're embarrassed by it. 
But I think it goes back to something that Raju reminded me of, and I, I, I always still forget it. It's the broader integration testing that will always get you, um, especially if you're passing data across and somebody changes one little component, even you know, a, a memory boundary. Uh, it, that those are the hardest tests to do, and they're the most embarrassing bugs to find. Uh, so I think I would have told myself, focus more on integration testing and really get it down. Yeah, the things you can't control in your code, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yeah, I would I would take it back, like uh, I, would, I would have focused, or if at all I would have owned a team, I would have told them to make sure that you're focusing on the configuration management and dependency, because this was going to help you. If you build this configuration management from the beginning itself, it is, it is, then you, then you are not going to spend a lot of amount of work in the future. So if, if at all you keep updating that particular configuration management and dependency from the beginning itself, then you will it will be easy for it will make everyone's job easy, even the developers and testers and even the product owners who is going to understand this particular uh, product or uh, software. Excellent. I would add that um, it's important to not forget about the human in the loop. I know we've talked about that in the context of AI, but at the end of the day, we're delivering an experience. Right, yep. uh, you know, it doesn't matter if the functionality checks out fine and and there are no issues from a test data standpoint. But if it's not usable, if it's not engaging, if it's not something that you would love to actually interact with, then all the effort is actually not <laughs> going to yield the kind of result that you're hoping for. Because at the end of the day, we're still building software for humans, and we have to think about the application from an end user perspective above all. And that relates to um, you know the functionality, that relates to the requirements, that relates to the things that we can automate as well. And if, if you really think about it that way to say, like if, if I was a new a, a user coming into this, like how, how would I feel about interacting with the software? And does it want me to come back and recommend it to others and and i think what apple and google and other sort of um you know apps store has done is they have really created awareness for user ratings <laughs> i feel like we need this type of rating system for enterprise software as well uh in many cases uh but i think that will influence and inform a lot of the automation strategies or test management strategies or value stream and other things that that we use and the techniques and the process and tools uh, to deliver software that actually is engaging and exciting uh, for our end, end customers. Yeah, I think that the word there is empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, something actually I learned from an interview on Tech Strong Women, a woman who is really into UX, and she talked about how important empathy was for your end users and having true empathy for them. And uh, that is a responsibility of testers. Extremely good point. You know, something that uh, I went through an experience where it was during an economic downturn and I ended up spending about a year and a half, almost two years part-time on the road doing, uh, we call it customer testing then, but it was user experience testing of software we were designing. And I walked away with this sort of like, wow, I never would have guessed. It's the, it's the unintended uses of software that that really stretched the boundaries like you know i remember developers saying well you're not supposed to do that with our software well people do or you're not supposed to use it that way well people do and so it's kind of expand the bounds of the discrete definition of a test plan or a test suite or a design 
there there are outer edges that 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 gets expanded to beyond what we intended uh, software how it might behave or how it might use and kind of keep an open mind and look for those uh, what might seem like edge cases but you never know you might have a great product shift in in what your product can do because suddenly you found a new problem that it solves you didn't know it was going to so there's some really insightful things you know if you just kind of think of it as a continuous learning not a i'm shooting for delivering x and that's that's all i'm after so if if that makes sense to everybody it, to me it was really like wow i had no idea people would do those kind of things i learned so much from talking with people who are actually using the software so to your point well thank you all three of you it's been a ton of fun it's always great to uh, get in get into the kind of details of this topic and and i hope folks that joined us today looking for some insights in uh, automating testing got got more than that they got that but also got configuration management user experience human in the loop um you know thinking about integration testing uh more more thoroughly you know so many kind of nuggets that i think any of us could pick out and use so raj um thank you so much for joining us and thank tracy you so as always and of course martin we really enjoy having you all three of you bring such a great perspective. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. Thank special thanks to Tricentis again for sponsoring this program and bringing people like this together to talk about uh, some really useful and helpful topics. So I hope you tune in again and we will be back with another episode of DevOps Unbound. We'll see you soon. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you.